Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 23 this morning. Psalm 23. Well, we're going to start today in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Now, in this particular passage, we see, starting at verse 5, that David transfers the metaphor. This is very important. The Lord is my shepherd, but he also is my host. He's also my host. And now, not many of us can identify with what it's like to be a shepherd, but most of us can identify with what it means to be a host. If you've ever invited anyone to your home, amen? If you've ever set a table, if you've ever prepared a meal, then you know what it's like to be a host. And it says right there in verse five, you, Lord, prepare a table before me. You see, when Melchizedek shared his table with Abraham, he was engaged in the sacred duty of hospitality. Amen, say that with me, hospitality. When Jesus dined with sinners, hospitality. When David invited Mephibosheth to his home, hospitality. When King Alfred invited the Viking warlord Guthrum into his chambers and at his table, he was engaged in the Christian virtue of hospitality. Amen. When the Apostle Paul describes one of the greatest virtues that a woman can be known for, he describes hospitality. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. Look at this. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. He's talking here about um, elderly women receiving benevolence and care from the church, sort of uh, uh, the church's charity and welfare program. He says, let her be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality. Notice hospitality is right up there with caring for your children. Caring for your children is important, amen? Right? Being faithful to your husband, fairly important, but also showing hospitality. When the Apostle Paul mentions the qualifications for elders, and we have several elders here and pastors, and their qualifications are to be apt to teach. They need to know their theology, know their Bible, have some aptitude and ability to teach others, amen? They need to be blameless according to the law of God, and they also need to be faithful to their wives, managing their households well, You don't want an elder who can't manage his own children and his own finances, amen? But also, they are to be hospitable. We don't think of hospitality as that important, but it is one of the qualifications of elders. So look at Acts chapter 16, verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, this Philippian jailer had never heard the the salvation testimony. He had never heard the gospel. He had been living his entire life in darkness, but he met Paul and Silas in the prison, and they're singing during times of affliction. Isn't it nice that sometimes God brings people into your life to call you to himself? You were just going about your life, amen, living in sin, and then all of a sudden you got a couple of guys in jail singing hymns, and now you have hope. There's hope of a a glorious life. And he cries out to them. He says, what must I do to be saved? And it's very simple. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's not pass over this too quickly. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
you and your household, you and your family. Dads, you want to be saved? You want to bring your family into a new future with hope? You want to change your family tree? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What a, what a testimony it is to see men out here in this congregation whose lives were once a wreck, now sitting here with their whole family on a good trajectory, on a, on a, with a family tree that is now going to produce fruit for thousands of years. Amen? Wow. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Verse 32, and to all who were in the house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. See, once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're baptized. And we have some baptisms coming up here shortly, by the way. And then verse 34, and this is what I want you to see. Then he brought them up into his, say that word with me, house, all together, all together, house. house. And he said, say that word with me, food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God don't miss this when he was saved he believed in his heart amen he accepted the truths of the gospel in his mind but his Christianity went way beyond his heart and his mind his Christianity put food on a table for other people that's what it means to be a Christian his faith wasn't just in his heart his faith was on his table because hospitality flows from us supernaturally by the Spirit of God. Hospitality even for difficult people, amen? Like the people in our church, right? His faith was not just in his heart, it was on his table. And like his Lord, his faith was incarnate. Too many people believe that the Christian life is simply about philosophical deductions or feelings in the heart or self-esteem. No, it's about all of those things but it's also about bread and wine and uh, making a roux and smoking meats, amen, and baking cakes and putting them on the table, amen. The virtue of hospitality, the sacred virtue of hospitality. But it's not just a virtue, it's also a mission. It's also a mission. The Great Commission, for example, you know it, if you know it, say it along with me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's our commission, Christ Church. Amen? But a lot of people don't realize that the Great Commission is tied to the dominion, made of, dominion mandate of Genesis. And so they think the Great Commission is simply telling people about Jesus over coffee. Or they think that the Great Commission, thank you, Pastor Scott, now y'all can hear it. Or they think that the Great Commission is uh, praying and doing all the sorts of things that pastors do. But listen, the Great Commission is also baking cakes. Does Jesus have anything to say about dining and setting tables and baking cakes? Amen? That's right. We must teach the nations how to bake cakes like Christians, how to be hospitable. Because Jesus is hospitable. Are we not gathered here right before a table? Jesus is hospitable, and you don't have to etch John 3.16 on the cake and icing, right, for it to be Christian. It's a Christian cake even without the Bible verse on it because hospitality flows supernaturally from a heart that's been changed by God. Hospitality is a Christian virtue. Hospitality is a mission. Hospitality is a privilege, and we as a church must be hospitable. Amen? When new people come into our church, we need to be greeting them. 
We need to be getting to know them, inviting them for coffee, serving them. So when you choose a home, and many of you are, are thinking about purchasing homes or are going from one home to another, when you purchase a home, think about hospitality. Will you be able to bring people into this home? Amen? When you are establishing your schedule and your financial budget in your home, make sure you have margins of time and margins of money so that you can bring others into your life because Jesus brought you into his life. Amen. And as a personal note, when you choose a dog, don't get a mean one. <laughs> don't laugh too much. But if you, know, if you know my dog, Rowdy, he makes it very hard to be hospitable because he can't tell the difference between a wolf and a, a UPS man. And so when you choose a dog, make sure you choose a hospitable dog, right? If you need a guard dog, that's fine. I have one for you. But... But if you're going to engage in the Christian virtue and mission of hospitality, you need to be strategic about it and think about it. Because when you prepare a table, look at verse 5 one more time in Psalm 23. When you prepare a table, you are imitating Jesus Christ who sets a table. Wives, when you set the table, when you prepare those meals, you are being just like Jesus. You are on mission you are being supernaturally used by the Spirit of God in your life. Amen? Amen. So, but now let's look at the Lord's table. Let's look at the Lord's table. And we're going to see several things that it's marked by. But the first we see here in verse 5 is that the table is marked by abundance. By abundance. Notice the oil. Do you see the oil there? The oil now, the oil would, been, would have been offered by the host of the home, and it would be poured on the head of the guest. Not, not a flood of oil, but a little bit of oil, so that the guests could then rub that oil in their hair and on their face and on their skin and their hands to refresh them and moisturize them. I'm not saying that we need to do this. Uh, <laughs> people already think our church is weird enough, but... But this is an ancient custom, and if, if we didn't have air condition and deodorant and showers and all of that, we would understand that when you walk from one home to another home across the city and you're covered in dust and your skin is cracking from the sun, it's nice to have a little uh, moisturizer, amen? And imagine the smells in a, in a small Middle Eastern ancient room with all the men just having traveled across the city. You need some oils, some fragrance to, to, to make the room more hospitable. Amen. And Jesus pours the oil of the Holy Spirit upon us, what the Bible calls the oil of gladness. The oil of gladness. And there's so much to it. But listen, the Christian life is a life of happiness of merriment, of refreshing, delicious fragrances, figuratively and literally, right? And literally. They say, people often say, they, they say, Jesus doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Don't ever say that. There is no dichotomy between happiness and holiness, Right? Of course Jesus wants you to be holy, and sometimes things are going to be difficult. But even in the worst of circumstances, the Bible tells us to rejoice. Amen? Jesus wants us to be happy and holy, not one or the other. He pours the oil of gladness on our heads as we sit at the table so that the room can be filled with a beautiful fragrance and we can be refreshed. We don't have to live in the drudgery of the hot sun and the dusty streets. 
Amen? The table is marked by abundance. Jesus was once speaking of a very inhospitable host named Simon. And he told that host, he said, you haven't brought water for my feet. That's another thing that a host would do. They would provide water so that feet could be washed. And you haven't provided any oil for my head. But she, she was a, a woman who had been forgiven much. She has provided oil for my head and my feet. We want to be the kind of church that not only receives the oil of gladness from the Spirit of God, holy and happy and refreshed and, and enjoying abundance, but we want to be the kind of kind of church that shares that with others as well. We, we don't just enjoy the party. We invite others to the party too. Amen. But it's not just the oil on the head. Notice the cup. It's there in verse 5. My cup, as David is sitting there at the table with Jesus as his host, he looks at his cup on that table and he says, that cup is overflowing. Can you describe your life that way? My cup overflows. When you have a, your first child, my cup overflows. When you find out you can't have children, my cup overflows. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because I deserve nothing but hell and I have this overflowing cup. Now the cup that's overflowing is a cup of wine. That's right, it's wine, believe it or not. And look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 19. Look what the Lord puts in our cup. Ecclesiastes 10, 19, I have it there on the, on the screen for you. What does wine do? Wine gladdens life. Amen? Now, there are some people who are not mature enough to drink wine, right? Children, obviously, and, and those people who are wrestling with self-control and, and wrestling with self-discipline, they're not mature enough to have wine. Amen? Amen? And some of you might prove not mature enough, and the elders, I have to tell you, that's enough of that. Amen? All right, but generally speaking, wine gladdens the heart. It gladdens the heart. Judges chapter 9, verse 13. If, if you've ever wondered what grapevines think and what they might say if they were ever, ever able to talk, but look, here's what they say. But the grapevine replied, should I stop giving my wine that cheers both God and man to hold sway over the trees? See, the grapevine says, I'm not trying to grow tall and big over the trees. That's their job. I'm trying to provide grapes to man that he might be cheered. And look at Psalm 104, verse 15. It captures the wine and the oil. Notice the abundance here. Wine that gladdens the heart of man. Oil that makes his face to shine. And bread that sustains his heart. The Lord sets the table, Christ Church. Your life is a table set by the Lord and there is bread and there is bounty and there is abundance and there is wine and there is oil because he is an abundant, good, gift-giving God. Don't ever... Be tempted to think that Jesus is trying to make you miserable. Don't ever believe that lie from the devil, amen? Because Jesus wants more, wants nothing more than to make you joyful and happy, even through the afflictions, even through the relational strains, even through the suffering. John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Let's read this together. Can we get that on the screen? John 10, 10. Well, we know it. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, I thought that he came to die on the cross so that I could be forgiven for my sins. Yes, you may be forgiven of your sins, but that's not the end goal, amen? The end goal is that you might be forgiven in order that you might enjoy abundance. Jesus came that you might live in abundance. Amen. But now that abundance is also a calling, because if your cup is overflowing, listen to this very carefully, if the cup is overflowing and the bread is all on the table and the oil, there's plenty of oil to go around, what do you do with overflowing wine? Do you get drunk off of it? No. 
What do you do with an excess of food? Do you become a glutton with it? No. What God gives to us is not meant for us to consume it upon our lusts. We're not dead-end streets, amen? We are conduits, and that overflow is given to you as a test. Will you be a faithful steward? Will you pass that overflow on to others? Amen? Amen. So that, uh, that abundance and that overflow is also a calling. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, so that you can see the purpose of working Monday through Saturday, at least some of the purpose. Let the thief no longer steal. Right? But is that all there is to it? Just stop stealing? No, there's more. But rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands. And here's one of the purposes of work, so that he may have something to, say that word with me, Share with anyone in need. The overflow is a calling. The overflow is a calling. But the overflow is also a warning. The overflow is also a warning. See, many, many of us have quite a bit of abundance. And there is a temptation that comes with abundance. And it is to forget God. Amen? Because when you are full and you have all the wine and the oil and the bread that you need and life is filled with abundance and joy and friends and family and happiness... It's very often that we forget the Lord. Who here prays more when times are tough than when times are good? Because you forget the Lord. It's a temptation. And we must not do that. And we must not be filled with pride and begin to think that we built this. And I earned this money. And I did all of this our own selves. Forgetting that it is the Lord who gives you the power to make wealth. In order that he might confirm his covenant with you. And prove to you that he is faithful. So we must always realize that the abundance is from the Lord. But there was a warning, and we must use the margins of that abundance for those in need. As he overflows in our life, we overflow to others. Amen? Now, we move on to the next thing. Because this table is in the house of the Lord. And I've been waiting the whole sermon to get to this. It is, it is, it is fresh, and it is incredibly important. And this has warmed my heart all week long. The table that he has set is in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 6, if you would, in our passage. It says that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The table's in a house. And this is lost on us because, um, in, in, because we don't know what a Lord is. You know what a king is, basically. But what's the difference between a king and a Lord? We say the word Lord, and we basically just mean king. But that's not what a Lord is. A Lord and a king are not exactly the same thing. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't say it with different words. But what is a Lord? Well, if you think back to any movies or books that you read on the Middle Ages, on what we should call Christendom, you might have a somewhat of an idea of what a Lord is. They had ladies and they had lords. And a Lord was simply a landowner. Okay, nod your head if you're tracking with me. All right? The Lord is a landowner. Right? And we were his enemies. Amen. But he forgave us, and he pardoned our sin. That's enough right there. I would, I would be okay with just that. Pardoning of me, my sins so that I don't have to die and go to hell forever and be punished by the Lord because the Lord is just. I would be okay with that. But he is so abundant in his mercy and in his goodness that he didn't just pardon us. He brought us onto his estate, and he gave us some land to work so that we could provide for our family. He gave us a little down payment. And if we are faithful in that land and we pay him tribute with the money that we make, he will continue to give us more land so that we might prove our faithfulness with even more. 
So we're not just freed prisoners. We're also tenant farmers. I like that. I'm okay with that too. But he didn't stop there. He adopted us. Do you understand the difference between a tenant farmer and a son? He adopted us. Now that means that we're not just working the land and paying tribute to the Lord. We own the land. For the meek shall inherit the earth. Amen. So we're working our own land. Amen. And because we are now adopted and we are not just servants or tenant farmers, but we are sons, we have a new name. And our name is Christian because we share his name. Christian meaning little Christ. But there's even more than that. He invited us into the house. Amen. And he gave us a seat at the table. Now, you have to understand this. When David invited Mephibosheth in and gave him a seat at the table, it wasn't just so that he could have a, a dinner, a meal. Right? Think, think King Arthur and the round table. Who sits at the round table? It's not the peasants. It's the noblemen. It's the lords. Jesus invites us into the home, adopting us, giving us his name, because we are lords, little l, and he is the Lord of lords. And he gives us a seat at the table, and that means authority. We're not just peasants. We're not just servants. We're not just uh, forgiven criminals. We're sons. We're princes. We're kings in his estate. Let me read this passage to you. I bet you've never seen this before. Luke chapter 22, verse 29. You are those, Jesus is speaking to his apostles, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you. See that? I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. If you have a kingdom, what does that make you? Well, you know. That you may eat and drink at my table. Amen? It's an abundant table. But there's more than just eating and drinking there. It's the table in my kingdom. And look at that, sit on thrones. Because the seat of the table is a commission. It is authority. It is a position. You have been commissioned. You have been deputized. You know what it means to be commissioned? That you might sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we don't have the same commission as the apostles. They have a different level of authority than we do. Amen. We know that. But we have a seat at the table, for we are sons, and we share his name, and the land is ours. Amen? And that means we have a commission and a job to do that he gave us. And the table, look at verse 5. The table is in the presence of enemies. So, that means we're at war. Amen? Think about Kobe, Kobe Bryant, or, or Michael Jordan, depending on how old you are. Or... Or LeBron James, right? Imagine at halftime, imagine at halftime, they start busting uh, champagne bottles open and, and, and singing loud music and smoking cigars, right? At halftime. What would you think? You'd think they lost their mind. Why? Because it's not a time to feast because you haven't won the championship yet. And, and people like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant wouldn't even smile until the championship was over, much less throw a party. Or imagine the troops on D-Day getting off of those boats, if you can picture that mind in your mind, and they're storming the beach under the gunfire of the German soldiers. Imagine that when they hit the beach, they don't pull out machine guns, they pull out a table, and they get bread, and they get wine, 
And they start laughing and, and re rejoicing and singing songs and eating and inviting people over. That would be strange, right? Why? Because they hadn't yet won the war. Now, it would certainly be some psychological warfare on the Germans, wouldn't it? They'd be thinking, what do they know that we don't know? You know what they'd be thinking? They would be thinking, I wonder if the war is over. That's what they'd be thinking. Yeah, you see, that's what, that's what you have to understand. This table that is set before us of abundance and commission and authority and sonship is a table that is set in the presence of our enemies. There's still enemies out there because we are at war. But you say, but how can there be a table if we're still at war because you're not supposed to eat at the table until after the war? How do you make sense of that paradox? It's because Jesus has already struck the decisive blow, amen? And he saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens. And he has been given the throne and all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, God the Father gave the Son the title deed. He owns the entire state. And we sit at the table with him, amen? Now, we still have to fight because there's some rogues and some bandits and some poachers out in the forests of the king. But the, the victory has already been won. We just have to do the mop-up operation. Amen? That's why we fight and we feast. And you know what? It was amazing. I don't have this in my notes, but sometimes when we're feasting, it's like we're fighting. It's a tactic. Who here was attracted to Christianity because you saw a community of happy people? Isn't that it? You were once his enemy, and you saw them there on the beach enjoying an abundant meal, enjoying life, happy, joyful, abundance, with their friendship and their family and their marriages. And you're like, I want that. And they said, well, it's here at this table. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your whole family. Yeah. Because the table is a tactic. Wow. Now, one last thing. Look at verse 6. David says this, and, and this is interesting, and there's a little bit of debate about this. But David says, I'm, I'm just now realizing this is probably like seven sermons in one, so I apologize for fire hosing you, but you, you can handle it. Verse 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord always refers to the temple where God's throne is, because as I told you, it's the throne of a Lord or the throne of a king who has a table and he invites them into his temple. But did David dwell in the temple every day? Was David always at church? No, of course not. So how do we make sense of this? Well, if you have a study Bible, you can look this up later, but the word dwell should be more literally translated return. It's return. Now, the reason why it says dwell is because the English Standard Version translators kept the old poetic King James. And the King James translators took a little license with this particular word. I don't think they should have, but, you know, who, who am I? But down at the footnote, you can see that dwell should be return. So what David is saying is, I shall return to the house of the Lord where there is the table where he will dine and he will receive the oil of gladness and his cup will overflow you see that? And he will always have access to that table for the rest of his life. So take everything I just taught you and think about yourself. What about us? Do you have his name? Yes or no? Yes. Do you have a commission? Yes, absolutely. Do you have the oil of gladness and the cup that overflows? Yes. Yes. Do we have a table? It's right there symbolically. You see it? Do you see it? And is there a temple? 
It's not the Old Testament temple in Jerusalem. It's now the gathered saints. Amen? It's the body of Christ. And we return to his house, our Lord, our covenantal Lord, every week on the Lord's day. And we dine with him. And he is here sitting at the head of the table. And he fills up our cups. So that he can overflow to others in the rest of the week. And when we leave here, we will leave here recharged. Amen. And refreshed. We will, be, we will remember that the battle is won. And we will go out on Monday to get rid of the rogues and the bandits in his forests. Right? And we will build in his name. And we will claim his land in his name to the ends of the earth. And next week, we will return to the house of the Lord again. It's profound and it is beautiful. He has all authority. And we go in his name. And the next Lord's day, we will do it again. And then the next Lord's day, we will do it again. Until one day we die and we go into his immediate presence forever. So as a church, let's all stand. And we're going to look to the head of our table, Jesus Christ. And we're going to pray. Father, we remember this morning that you have given all into the hands of your son, and that as you sent him, he has sent us into the world to extend his claims. We are reminded that not even the gates of hell can hold back your kingdom's advance. And we pray, Father, that today in your house, among your people, at your table, that you would refresh us with the oil of the Spirit of God. That you would fill up our cups with joy even in the midst of dark and difficult days, you would recharge us that we would go out into this world this next week and press your claims. Teach the nations to obey all that you have commanded and enjoy you. We ask all of this in your presence by your spirit. In Jesus' name and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen.